Welcome to CE Conversations, a clinical podcast presented by CEC Oncology designed to improve clinician performance and optimize patient outcomes. This session, entitled Infusing Renewed Hope into Cancer-Related Anemia with Intravenous Iron, an expert-led exploration of recent and emerging trial data and current guideline recommendations, was supported through an independent educational grant from American Regent and will offer actionable insights into the use of intravenous iron for the management of cancer-related anemia and chemotherapy-induced anemia. To earn CE credit for this activity, please visit the link in our show notes to complete the pretest prior to listening, then the post-test and activity evaluation at the conclusion of the podcast. And with that, we'll turn it over to our expert faculty. Welcome to our program entitled Infusing Renewed Hope into Cancer-Related Anemia with Intravenous Iron. I'm George Rogers. I'm a hematologist at the University of Utah. And today I'm joined by my colleague, Dr. David Henry, who's a hematologist oncologist and vice chair of medicine at the Abramson Cancer Center in Philadelphia. Today, we're going to give you an overview of currently available IV iron products and their safety and efficacy. Here's our disclaimer. The learning objectives today are that we will appraise completed ongoing and planned clinical trials of IV iron products for cancer-related anemia and chemotherapy-induced anemia, evaluating them in combination with ESAs or as monotherapy. We'll also analyze the safety and efficacy profiles of these IV iron products with a focus on safety aspects of uh, hypersensitivity reactions. Then lastly, we will apply uh, consensus guidelines related to the uh, NCCN, ASCO-ASH, and ASMO to some patient cases. If you want to receive uh, CME credit for this activity, please go to ceconcept.com to complete the evaluation and credit sections. In terms of disclosures, um, I'm a consultant for Pharmacosmos and Sobe. Uh, Dr. Henry and the CEC organizers have no relevant financial relationships to disclose. And with that, I will turn the program over to Dr. Henry. Very good. Thank you, George, and welcome again to everyone. We're really happy and excited about this particular program, which I hope you'll enjoy. So our learning objective for this first phase we're going to look at the completed, the ongoing planned clinical trials revolving around IV iron for cancer-related anemia, chemotherapy-induced anemia, combination, or as monotherapy iron. So here are some basics to begin our discussion. Cancer-related anemia, you'll hear us say CRA, CIA will always be chemotherapy-induced anemia. So underlying cancer, inflammatory condition, we'll talk a bit about hepcidin, anemic chronic disease. The cancer treatment we give, of course, is myelosuppressive a lot of the time, radiation as well. The patient, especially GI, perhaps ovarian, may be bleeding, so we watch out for occult blood loss. We always want to be sure that we're giving enough to the bone marrow to make blood iron, folate B12 are checked always as we evaluate anemia in the cancer patient. We worry about other concomitant conditions like uh, chronic kidney disease, for example, and some other inflammatory conditions. Is there rheumatoid arthritis, et cetera? So I love this slide because you probably can't read it, and um, but it's for your reference and information. It's a host of 
things we face as hematologists, oncologists, and the patient who's got cancer-related anemia because there may be drugs uh, that we give, myosuppressive, um, sometimes antibiotics, but you see bugs, um, infections, the HIV patient, HIV cancers, which we see quite a few at our site, and some others rounded out. I mentioned uh, chronic kidney disease, nutritional deficiencies, but this is basically a, a large encompassing list to have as the reference. So the next two slides I think are really interesting. If you see here, this first one's absolute iron deficiency, the second one's going to be functional. So this one, absolute iron deficiency, keep your eye on the upper right green storage pool. The intake in the bowel, you see to your left, in the stomach and duodenum, where iron is mostly absorbed duodenum, comes in, fills the storage pool, and you have not enough iron, either because not eating it or you're bleeding in the bowel, um, bleeding somewhere else, your storage pool of iron is less. That's absolute iron deficiency. And the bone marrow doesn't get enough iron. But here, the functional iron deficiency, notice in that right upper storage pool, it's normal or increased, but why aren't we making blood? We'll go back over to the, the gut and you see the new green dot, hepcidin. So in the inflammatory condition, hepcidin is elevated and it decides to shut down iron absorption it also moves over, you see one red line going to the left, one red line going to the right, and it says to the storage pool, stay here. So the iron is not readily available to the developing bone marrow trying to make red cells. You have plenty, but you can't mobilize or use it, and that's hepcidin related. Another slide here of similar ideas, just in chart or tabular form. You see the ferritin first line from left going across to the right, normal, iron depleted, iron deficient, functional iron deficiency, you're purple again, you, you have plenty of iron, but your transport of iron is, you notice the orange lines going across from left to right, it's very poor transport by the time you get to functional iron deficiency where you have plenty of iron, but the transport is low. Notice the bottom transfer and saturation as you get over to the far right, plenty of iron, but not being transported around the body for use, transfer and saturation typically less than 20%. Another way of looking at the same thing, I call most of your attention to the bottom red on the left and then just next to it, the yellow. So the y-axis is transparent saturation or circulating available iron and the bottom x-axis is how much do you have in the tank, how much storage iron. So absolute iron deficiency in the red, you have very little circulating TSAT and you have very little storage to supply the TSAT. So both are low. Then you move to the right into the yellow classic functional iron deficiency anemia where now the ferritins may be 30 to 500. So you have iron, but it's locked up in storage, can't go to the developing erythron. So T sets are low or less. So we promised you to look at some trials. So there's some basics. Now let's go into IV iron clinical trials, cancer related anemia and chemotherapy induced anemia, the CIA. So we're going to look at both combinations, ESA, erythropoietic stimulating agents, so we'll always say ESA, and iron either together or iron-only so-called monotherapy. Here's a listing of the combination trials, IV iron and ESA, chemotherapy-induced anemia. Some authors listed on the left. You see the number of patients, the product they used. And on the right, and we'll come back to this again in a, in a summary slide, they're always positive when you're giving ESA to cancer, uh, sorry, chemotherapy dystonemia, 
And you get ESA plus the iron, those studies always showed a better response, helping to feed that erythron that can't seem to get the iron, even though there's plenty available. And then this slide is a listing of some trials that are done with IV iron only as monotherapy. All right, so let's look at intravenous iron optimizing the response to ESA, recombinant unerythropoietin, in the chemotherapy-related anemia. So this is um, our colleague, Dr. Auerbach, probably was the first one to show this in this trial that he performed, 150-some patients, had chemotherapy-related anemia, and they were all getting an ESA, happened to be erythropoietin alpha, and that was on a typical 40,000 units weekly dosing, and they were all given one of four things, either no iron, oral iron. And while I'm on this, notice the oral iron says 325 twice daily. We actually know now that your iron every other day is actually better absorbed. So just a, a little side. No iron, oral iron, iron dextran dosing repeated, 100 milligrams at a time intravenously, or one large so-called total dose infusion. They're all getting ESA with these four possibilities for IV iron, chemotherapy-induced anemia. And this slide, his response slide, if you notice the low down to the x-axis blue bars, dark blue, here we have hemoglobin change on the y-axis, no iron, oral iron, bolus, 100 a week, iron dextran, or total dose, one large dose. And the biggest bump in the hemoglobin over the course of the study was with iron, either bolus or one large dose. Likewise, very nicely, this study is how do your patients feel? What's the quality of life analysis? And you see that uh, not much change or negative in three parameters, energy, activity, and your overall quality of life. Didn't really change much until you got the bolus iron or the total dose infusion iron for those three parameters, very positive, with the iron added to the ESA. The trial concluded that the hemoglobin is better increased in the groups getting IV iron, P-value significant, something called hematopoietic response. So either an increase in hemoglobin or decrease in transfusion requirement or both was always better for the IV iron groups. And nicely, the quality of life showed that if you get a response in the IV iron ESA groups, your quality of life's improved. Here's another trial using a potent alpha, I'm sorry, a darbopotent alpha. So the first one, potent alpha, this one, darbopotent alpha, similar but different molecules, both ESAs, in the same kind of patient, chemotherapy-induced anemia with or without IV iron. So the setup here was a, a bigger group of patients, almost 400, hemoglobins 11 or less, and they got the ESA 500 every three weeks with or without the iron. And here you see um, on the left grouping is the y-axis showing some kind of hematopoietic response. The right side grouping is time to hemoglobin or those patients over 11. And as you see, the red bar is always higher than the green bar, showing the improvement comes when the ESA is paired with the IVR. Transfusion requirements likewise decrease. Really easy to see this one, the IVR and left grouping less transfusion, and uh, that was from five weeks on in the study, a different cut of the data and the right grouping from one week on the study still showed almost immediately 
a decrease in transfusion requirement. The left side just showing you it takes a while to develop that decrease in transfusion, but even right out of the gate, after one week, we see a difference in the right side panels. And so as kind of a summary slide, uh, several authors here, Petrelli, Captor Gavilli, Mascar, analyzed the body of data of our cancer patients with anemia, getting IVR and ESA. These trials all are positive. These are three for your reference reviews of all of that body of data as the years go by, 2012, 2013, and 2016 being the most recent, recent Cochrane analysis. So as a sort of summary, intravenous iron supplementation for the treatment of CIA and several reviews, meta-analyses have been done, as I've mentioned. And so here's another summary slide, 11 trials. You see the years 2004 to 2011, over 1600 patients and various combinations of no iron, oral iron, IV iron, and overall hematopoietic response, higher hemoglobin, lower transfusion requirement is always better with the ESA getting IV iron, you see the decreased, decreased transfusion requirements below. This summary had some trials with or without ESAs, so even had monoclonal iron, which we're going to do in a second, where the response rates are always better. And there was no significant increase in adverse events, which is really important, I think. We worry a bit about ESAs and clotting, hypertension, low, but there, the IV iron did not add anything to that. So here is another cut of the data using the forest plot approach. The top grouping is trials using CIA with ESA plus or minus iron. The bottom grouping is CIA, just the iron. And you'll notice that the forest plot red point estimates always go left, which favor the treatment. The top grouping, ESA plus IV iron, and the bottom grouping, just the IV iron. And of course, as you might expect, um, those patients not getting much iron didn't have much chance to respond to the IV iron as opposed to those who did. And so we see here, as you go from left to right, the chance of a hematopoietic response in these trials was better as the dose, total dose of IV iron was greater. So then in the final few minutes of my remarks, I wanna go through one particular trial called Ironclad, giving iron monotherapy for chemotherapy just anemia only. So we're not gonna be talking ESA now, just the IV iron. So what's the setup? The setup is we're gonna have a double blind phase three placebo controlled, patients getting ferric carboxymaltose or placebo, at least four weeks of chemotherapy remaining, we're treating non-myelin malignancies receiving chemotherapy. Those getting, we'll call it FCM from now on, receive infusions at least seven days apart, a maximum of 750 per dose and a total of two doses, then a maximum of 1500 for their treatment of the IVR versus the placebo where there's no IVR. I love this slide because um, we all tend to glaze over when we see this, but it's important um, to, to know it and to there for your reference, just showing that 244 patients randomly assigned. And as you come down the left and right arms, randomization, to FCM or placebo, some were not able to get in the study or dropped off the study, but still we have a number of patients who got through the trial and were able to give us some results. So if you're getting 
at chemotherapy and cancer, we tend to make our patients anemic. So here you see, as we go from time on the x-axis, the curves, placebo is in blue. I beg your pardon, placebo is in orange and the, the active FCM is in blue. You'll notice the drop is less when you're getting the IV iron. So another way of saying it, our patients are more anemic with cancer chemotherapy treatment if they got the placebo versus the active FCMR. So the, the, the key conclusions, trials, takeaways, as we'll call it, were in this trial of a number of patients getting FCM or placebo, hemoglobin levels within 0.5, in other words, not getting as anemic as fast, was greater significantly, 50 versus 35% in those getting FCM. Patients who had a baseline of just below 10, their change in hemoglobin from the early part of the study, week three to week 18, was better, higher hemoglobin, as you see, one versus 0.42, significant. And the percentage of patients with a one gram increase from baseline or higher, again, 71 versus 54% significant in our patients getting the IV iron. So the conclusion here, again, I think what's happening is you get another way to get iron to this starved, inefficient, functionally iron deficient bone marrow because the iron stores are locked up you give it away to then get iron and contribute to the anemia or getting it better or at least not falling as fast. So the conclusion was FCM monotherapy in this study, so-called ironclad, is an effective and well-tolerated treatment option for the CIA patient with non-myeloid malignancy cancers. Thank you, David. Uh, I'm going to start on our learning objective number two, where we're going to go over the currently available uh, IV iron products with a focus on uh, safety uh, and their utility. So the next two slides are going to review the six currently available IV iron products in the United States. This slide lists three of them, uh, iron dextran, ferromoxetol, and ferric gluconate. Uh, two of these products have black box warnings, uh, iron dextran and ferromoxetol. Iron dextran can be given uh, at the FDA approved a dose of 100 milligrams daily, or as the asterisk at the bottom indicates, it's been routinely used uh, off-label for over 20 years, given as a single infusion of one gram over one hour. Ferromoxetol can also be given in large doses of uh, 510 milligrams twice over a week. Uh, not listed on this slide um, is the fact that ferromoxetol is paramagnetic and uh, may interfere with magnetic resonance imaging. Uh, ferric gluconate, uh, the third of uh, the iron product on this slide, is one of the older iron salts. Um, it can only be used in lower doses of 125 milligrams maximally. So if you're going to iron replete a patient to a gram, uh, then this needs to be done weekly uh, for uh, eight weeks. The other three IV iron products are shown here, uh, iron sucrose, uh, ferric carboxymaltose, uh, FCM, and uh, ferric derizomaltose. Iron sucrose is uh, probably the most widely used IV iron product in the country. And like uh, iron gluconate, um, it can only be used uh, in lower doses, perhaps up to three or 400 milligrams in a setting. 
FCIB can be used in larger doses. Uh, if you're doing a, a single dose for a patient over 50 kilograms, you can either use uh, either 750 milligrams or 1,000 milligram infusion. And if you use the 750 milligram dose, that dose can be repeated a week later for a total dose of 1.5 grams. FCM has uh, the unique uh, adverse event of causing uh, hypophosphatemia. So patients who receive the drug frequently may need to have phosphate levels checked. Uh, Ferric derisomaltose is the new kit on the block. Uh, like many of the other products, it can be given in large dosage of up, up to a gram over uh, 20 minutes. So what is IV iron? So IV iron products are nanoparticles of iron carbohydrate complexes. And as shown in the uh, cartoon on the right side of the slide, we see that uh, IV iron consists of an iron core surrounded by a carbohydrate shell. The carbohydrate shells of the different iron products are shown below. And uh, as we can see for uh, iron dextran, the carbohydrate is dextran. For ferric gluconate, it's gluconate, etc. The properties of the carbohydrate shell, as well as the size of the particle and the labile iron content, all of these contribute to the safety and efficacy aspects of the IV iron product. This slide goes over um, one of the biggest issues concerning intravenous iron, and that is uh, safety aspects. Um, many older physicians um, who've been in practice for many years may remember the older IV iron products that were high molecular weight forms of iron dextran, uh, such as uh, Infron or uh, Dexferum. These products were associated with significant uh, adverse events, including uh, anaphylaxis in up to 0.6% of patients. It's important to note that these products are no longer available and that the uh, newer formulations do not have these risks. However, the newer formulations do have um, a risk of adverse events, but uh, anaphylaxis um, is very infrequent. Uh, the literature suggests that life-threatening reactions such as anaphylaxis or infections occur less than one event per 200,000 doses. Um, more commonly, we see what are called anaphylactoid reactions that I'll go over in more detail on the next slide. And you can see that their incidence is approximately one in a thousand to uh, three in a thousand, depending upon the uh, intravenous iron product. This slide goes over a systematic review of uh, Dr. Avni. Uh, in which she compared uh, over 100 clinical trials of all intravenous iron products uh, that included over 10,000 patients, comparing the adverse event of the IV iron product to the comparator of that clinical trial. And as shown on the left-hand side of the slide, the comparators were either placebo, uh, no iron, oral iron, or intramuscular iron. And if we look at um, the columns on the left side of the uh, slide, we see that when IV iron products were uh, compared uh, to the comparators, 
And if we looked at individual iron products themselves as shown, IS is iron sucrose, FCM spirit, carboxymaltose, et cetera, uh, we see that um, there's no statistically significant difference between serious adverse events of uh, any of the IV iron products to the comparators. On the right-hand side of the slide, if we look at specific uh, body systems that could be involved with a serious adverse event, we see similarly that there's no increased risk of uh, adverse events. The only increased risk of adverse events, serious adverse events were infusion reactions, and that's shown in the lower right-hand slide. But we can see that most IV iron products, the exception was ferric gluconate, um, which did have a statistically significant increase in infusion reactions, but compared to the comparators, other IV iron products did not have this statistically significant uh, increase in uh, infusion reactions. So what are these infusion reactions? Um, it's important to remember that all IV medications have the potential to cause these hypersensitivity reactions. Um, in particular, hematology oncology physicians have to be aware that medications such as rituximab are very commonly involved with infusion reactions. But it turns out that IV iron products have a much lower rate than drugs such as rituximab. So what exactly are these reactions? Many of them are called fishbane reactions named after the physician who described them. Basically, they are minor hypersensitivity reactions that include symptoms such as arthralgias, myalgias, flushing, maybe pruritus, maybe anxiety. And they're likely due to a phenomenon called CARPA, complement activation-related pseudoallergy. These, these are not typical uh, anaphylaxis reactions because IgE is not involved. Uh, tryptase levels are not elevated uh, in these patients. And so the question is, how do we manage uh, these hypersensitivity reactions? The minor reactions that have basically flushing, arthralgias, and myalgias can be easily treated by discontinuing the IV iron infusion, waiting 15 or 20 minutes, uh, monitoring the patient, and then resuming the IV iron infusion uh, at a reduced rate, perhaps a 50% reduction in the infusion rate. If patients have more significant symptoms, such as shortness of breath or cough, then we can use IV steroid medications, hydrocortisone or methylprednisolone. But it's important to emphasize that these reactions should not be treated with um, antihistamines such as Benadryl because they can make these reactions worse and actually mimic um, a more severe reaction. So the last learning objective that we'll go over are to look at some of the consensus uh, guidelines um, and apply them to some uh, patient cases. And we'll go over guidelines from the National Comprehensive Cancer Network, um, the joint guideline from the American Society of Clinical Oncology and the American Society of Hematology, and the European Society for Medical Oncology. So this is the guideline from the NCCN. I personally think this is the most useful guideline because it's updated every one or two years. This is their more recent guideline from version 
2022. And it basically indicates, starting at the left-hand side of the slide, that uh, typical iron studies are done, including a serum iron and a total iron binding capacity to calculate a TSAT, transferrin saturation, and a serum ferritin are done. Then based on these results, we can stratify patients into four categories, either absolute iron deficiency with very low ferritins and low transferrin saturations, or the next level would be a functional iron deficiency in patients with ferritins between 30 and 500, and a TSAT less than 50%. Or the next category would be a possible functional iron deficiency with a higher ferritin level, a greater than 500 to 800, and a TSAT less than 50%. Or lastly, basically patients that are not iron deficiency, perhaps even have iron overload. Then based on which category you in, uh, they have recommendations for treatment. Obviously patients with absolute iron deficiency should get iron replacement. And this could be done either with oral or IV iron. Uh, obviously, you need to be aware that with oral iron therapy, 30 to 50% of patients may not tolerate it, but at least with absolute iron deficiency, oral iron is an option. For patients with functional iron deficiency, the next category, this would be the classic case for IV iron to be used to overcome the IV iron block described by Dr. Henry. And then after their iron replete, we could consider ESA therapy if their uh, responses were suboptimal to IV iron alone. And the next category, possible functional iron deficiency, um, no iron supplementation would be one option, or you, you could consider a lower dose IV iron uh, to see if you could improve their hemoglobin levels. Lastly, the patients who are iron replete, obviously we do not need any iron supplementation for these patients. So um, how about the ASCO-ASH guideline? So this was last updated in 2019, and uh, they reviewed at that time 15 meta-analyses in two specific randomized controlled trials between 2010-2018. And as they indicate, the totality of data uh, suggested that adding iron supplementation to ESA therapy improve the hematopoietic response and reduced red cell transfusion requirements. The consensus recommendations were that iron replacement uh, may be used to improve hemoglobin response and reduce transfusions for patients receiving ESAs with or without iron deficiency. Obviously, we need to remember that red cell transfusion remains a uh, treatment option for patients who need a rapid improvement in hemoglobin levels. How about the European Society for Medical Oncology guidelines? These were originally promulgated in 2010 and more recently updated. This is from their original guideline. They recommend the usual iron panel test in addition to a C-reactive protein to monitor inflammatory response. But as early as 2010, they recommended IV iron supplementation because it would lead to higher hemoglobin increment in comparison with oral or no iron. And they also noted that the literature indicated that iron supplementation reduced uh, transfusion requirements in patients. This is the more recent update of the ESMO guidelines from 2018. Specifically, they recommend patients receiving chemotherapy with hemoglobins less than or equal to 11 should receive IV iron. 
or patients who had at least a two gram decrease from their baseline hemoglobin level, um, they would also be candidates for IV iron therapy. Obviously patients with absolute iron deficiency would be candidates for IV iron. And that the ESA is going to be employed, it would be important to make sure that patients are iron replete before ESAs are used. How about ESA, I'm sorry, how about IV iron monotherapy? Um, they thought that this could be considered for patients who had functional iron deficiency with a low TSAT and ferritins of at least 100. And then lastly, they recommended uh, dosing for IV iron for cancer-related anemia and chemotherapy-induced anemia. And they recommended uh, 1,000 milligrams as a single dose or multiple doses to achieve 1,000 milligrams. And for absolute iron deficiency, of the approved doses until uh, hemoglobin was corrected. The ASMO guidelines also contained this uh, rather complicated algorithm that I will spend just a little time on. Uh, we again use the standard iron test to stratify patients into three hemoglobin levels as indicated on the left side. At the very bottom for patients who are very anemic hemoglobins, less than seven to eight who need a rapid hemoglobin increase, they should be transfused. Patients with lesser um, involvement of anemia could receive uh, either IV iron or ESAs depending upon their laboratory test results. Uh, we should also make sure we exclude a vitamin deficiency for these patients. And again, it's important if we're going to use ESAs, we need to make sure that patients are iron replete uh, before starting uh, ESA therapy. So the last thing that we'll discuss in this program, uh, we'll put these guidelines into practice and discuss uh, two patient cases. And then Dr. Henry and I will just uh, further discuss our experience with uh, IV iron and perhaps IV iron side effects. So the first case, uh, I, I will read the case and then I'll let Dr. Henry weigh in on his answer and then we'll discuss it. This is JL. She's a 56-year-old female who was diagnosed with stage 3A breast cancer four years ago. She underwent radiation and chemotherapy and was able to achieve a remission within six months. She recently had a recurrence and a PET scan revealed bony metastases. She subsequently was started back on chemotherapy, uh, but no longer curative intent. As of today, she's beginning her fourth cycle of chemotherapy. When she arrives at your clinic, she seems short of breath, reports feeling increasingly fatigued over the past few weeks. Laboratory evaluation suggests functional iron deficiency with a ferritin of 129, a transferrin saturation of 14%, a hemoglobin of 8.8, .8, and a retic count of 1%. So our treatment options would be either uh, IV iron monotherapy uh, versus IV iron in combination with an ESA versus an alternative approach. Um, so I'll, I'll let Dr. Henry weigh in on what he would do. Well, thank you, George. So, you know, many of our audience listening to our discussions today may be teachers and have house staff and students. And I have a dark humor with our house staff. Many times a patient like this, let's say it's 8.0 or 7.9, I kid with them that their workup is typed across two units. And so, you know, alternate approach at the bottom is transfusion, but 
I think it's so important in a case like this where there was a pause. She's not in dire straits or needing a transfusion at like a very low hemoglobin. So what's the mechanism? Sometimes you'll see the reticulin is high, it's hemolytic, or sometimes the ferritin is very low and it's iron deficiency. So um, just a reminder to all of us as we're teaching our young trainees to not just reach for the type of cross. So as nicely pointed out in this case, we had that ferritin a little high, so we have iron, but it doesn't seem to be mobilizing or working because the transparent saturation is 14%, which is low. And then we had the hemoglobin of 8.8, and we're reminded that the mechanism is underproduction, reticulin is low. So here's our classic functional iron deficiency case. And we have at the bottom there what to do. Well, as you've heard us say, this case could be IV iron monotherapy. It could be an ESA with IV iron. Um, and I think an alternate approach, uh, I wouldn't transfuse this patient unless, of course, there's some complicating feature of bleeding right in front of you or, or some severe cardiac or pulmonary disorder, which mandates more rapid transfusion. And I think if we go to the next slide, we'll see how I did, George. Let's see. Looks like I did pretty good. We have there nicely in, in the red box for a fair it's in that 300, 500 category, which you remember from the, the NCCN category, which I thought was so interesting that, George, you reviewed where the functional iron deficiency, even with a ferritin up to 500, gets IV iron because that four bone marrow slipping around for iron is locked up. And so here the availability is low, 20% or less. We've got a ferritin, which is um, a little on the higher side. And we can give, in this functional iron deficiency case, we can give IV iron alone, or we can give ESA with IV iron. So Dave, let me ask you, in your institution, are, are there certain favored iron products uh, that, that you would use routinely? I, su I suppose as most of the audience listening has institutions where there are contracts with this or that provider, supplier, um, ours is iron sucrose. So it's somewhere from 100 to 300 milligrams per dose. A patient like this, I've, if she's gonna be in the hospital a while, I might just dose once a day or every other day. If she's not, give her the higher dose 300 and then convert to the outpatient setting and start that ESA. My tendency at the moment is to give the ESA and IV iron, although I'm persuaded by the data that we reviewed that sometimes just IV iron alone can be very useful by itself. Have you had any experiences with um, serious adverse events in your infusion room? And is there a protocol for such events? Well, I'll give you a real case, which uh, almost made so I couldn't go home that night because my daughter, a young female, determined to have uh, iron deficiency from menses, was not tolerating oral iron very well. And so the challenge to me or the request to me from her uh, GYN was to fix it. So I brought her into the outpatient clinic and, and gave her a dose of IV iron. And she has history of asthma, not active, but occasionally during the summer seasonal. So within seconds, and she had no premedication. She started looking at me with her eyes wide open, pressure in the chest, flushing, hurting all over, no wheezing, but just achy and, and very anxious. And so um, I quickly called George and said, George, what is this and what do I do? And what did you tell me? Well, it sounds like a classic fishbane reaction, which we shouldn't overreact to. We shouldn't pour in the Benadryl. Um, the easiest thing to do uh, is just to stop the infusion and monitor the patient. And if things uh, improve as they usually do, the infusion can be 
uh, resumed uh, at a slower rate, uh, maybe 15, 20 minutes later. Or if you're concerned about the asthma uh, being a risk factor for hypersensitivity, you could always pre-medicate with a, an IV steroid. Yes, and uh, you know, so interesting case like this because our nurses who are wonderful in the infusion center uh, don't like seeing this. And so one arrived actually with an EpiPen and my daughter's eyes got even wider. And I said, no, we don't need, don't need an EpiPen. I think this is a fish pain reaction. It's going to go away. And I held her hand because of the, of the asthma tendency and a little bit of wheeze. I let them give a little dose of Salumedrol and Dobenadryl. And just as you said, 10, 15 minutes of a little anxiety later, she was fine. And we finished the infusion and she did well. Okay. Let me just make a comment about the slide that we're looking at. This is a slide that was developed by uh, Jeff Gilreath and I um, to describe the spectrum of iron deficiency to help classify patients and make it easier to decide how they should be treated. At the far left of the slide is absolute iron deficiency with very low ferritins, very low T-sats. Uh, obviously, IV iron is preferred here because these people are strictly iron deficient. On the far right-hand side, we have iron repletion or even iron overload with very high ferritins and uh, T-sats that are greater than 50%. These patients should not receive IV iron. Um, they may respond to an ESA. And then everything in between those two extremes are degrees of functional iron deficiency. Uh, the further you are to the left in the middle, the more likely you are to respond to IV iron. The further you are to the right in the middle, the less likely you are to respond to IV iron and the more likely an ESA may be helpful. So uh, hopefully uh, people who are viewing this program may find this uh, an easy way to uh, decide how to treat patients uh, with cancer who are iron deficient. Um, let's move on to our second case and I'll read it and then I'll let Dr. Henry uh, opine. So this is BK a 64-year-old male recently diagnosed with stage two adenocarcinoma of the colon. He received Folfox every two weeks for six months and therapy is considered curative. He comes to clinic with lethargy and fatigue that's gotten worse over the past two weeks. His baseline laboratory results indicate a hemoglobin of 11.6, a ferritin of nine, a transferrin saturation of 9%, and a retic count of 0.4%. And so the question here is uh, the same. Uh, what is the appropriate next step? Again, our options are IV iron monotherapy, uh, IV iron plus an ESA, or some other option. So this is a wonderful case. Again, as you point out, the hemoglobin is a little down, getting chemotherapy. But the key here, especially in the inflamed cancer patient, should be higher, but it's ferritin's nine. And his uh, transferrin saturates 9%. And just for completeness, his retic count is 0.4%. So he's under production because his bone marrow is looking for iron and there is none. It's an ideal patient, I think, especially if his oral iron might not be well absorbed. It might cause side effect to give IV iron. I would mention uh, to our colleagues listening that whether this be a case with inflammatory bowel disease or heavy menses, um, some other bleeding disorder where you see iron deficiency, this happens to be a cancer patient, probably with some GI bleed from his previous GI surgery or ongoing bleeding, where IV iron is, is so easy to give and repletes the tank 
and usually has a nice response. Mm -hmm. I would just uh, chime in with that this patient's receiving curative uh, chemotherapy, so he would not be a candidate for an ESA. And this is a great case for IV monotherapy alone. Uh, the nice thing about IV iron monotherapy is uh, there's no FDA restrictions on the chemotherapy the patient is getting. There's no restrictions on the target hemoglobin. There's no insurance restrictions. Uh, we're able to treat patients uh, at, at any hemoglobin level, uh, et cetera. So um, I would encourage people to consider IV iron monotherapy um, as an option for patients who are receiving curative chemotherapy and who are not candidates for ESAs. Good points. Let's just see if Dr. Henry is correct. We'll look at the answer and he was correct. So we're dealing with the, the extreme end of the spectrum of absolute iron deficiency where iron therapy is the uh, best option. Uh, oral or IV iron would be appropriate as Dr. Henry mentioned, uh, many patients won't tolerate oral iron. Even if they do tolerate it, it may not be sufficient to um, have a hematopoietic response, but IV iron would be uh, a, a good way to go here. So uh, I appreciate everybody attending uh, the program. Uh, Dr. Henry, do you have any last words? No, I think this has been a wonderful program. I just remind our colleagues to always do a pause, a timeout, check to see what is the mechanism of anemia. And if it's the functional or the absolute iron deficiency, consider these studies and these summaries and these uh, wonderful guideline charts. I love the chart we're looking at right now as a guidance of uh, what to think of and what to do next to try and reverse the anemia. We've mentioned a little bit about the quality of life. I think it's so true. Uh, George and I both have patients where let's say to you, I won yesterday who said, uh, you know, I said, your hemoglobin is eight. How do you feel? I, I'm, I'm fine. Well, when that patient gets to be 11 or 12, they look back and go, wow, um, I wasn't fine. Um, I, I get off the couch more. I got the steps faster. I think more clearly. So it does affect quality of life as well. Right. Well, thanks everybody for participating and good day. Thank you for attending this edition of CE Conversations. We hope it has been impactful for your clinical practice and most importantly, for the patients you serve. Please proceed to the link in the show notes to complete the post-test and activity evaluation to claim your CE credit.